subject which I started back in March on renewing the mind and and I have to confess something to you I've confessed to God there's something the Lord told me to do in the beginning of this I just didn't do because I thought I knew better and uh, don't look at me like you've never done that you just did <laughs> I felt that what the Lord told me to do my concern to me is there been so many breaks in the schedule and this is a course that really requires momentum to it to get the full impact and I really felt what the Lord had told me to do was do the first two or three lessons on Sunday and then move the rest to Wednesday night and the reason I chose not to do that is I wanted as many of you as possible to get the benefit of that teaching. But you still can, because you can come on Wednesday night. Or you can watch us online. And there's so many ways to get God's Word today. We'll never be able to stand before the Lord and say, I had no opportunity. It is all around us, and there's so many other things that we allow into our lives other than God's Word. It's everywhere you want to turn. And so we're going to begin to move. We're going to, this will be the last Sunday morning session I'm doing. So I'm whetting your appetite because we're going to move it to Wednesday night so that we can do some other things that we got to do here. All right? And the doors are open Wednesday night. You can all come. Praise the Lord. You sound really excited. And those, and those that really want to learn will find some way to watch or be here. That's what the Lord told me. Jesus would do that, by the way. He would tell a parable, and then what he would do is he wouldn't explain it. And he would go sit somewhere, and those that wanted to know the meaning of it would come and hear. And he told his disciples in the most important one he taught, he says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit's saying. And, and we all have ears, but what's he talking about? He who really wants to hear will come apart from the crowd and do what is necessary in order to hear. And that way God stirs the desire up, and that's what he satisfies, and that's what he meets. All right, let's get into this. We're going to quickly review. Um, we're talking about renewing the mind. The key scripture here is Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Therefore I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy... He's talking about turning your life over to God, Christ. I beseech you by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. There's only reasonable. Consider the 11 chapters that went before talk about God's mercy, what he's done for you. And so that's what you present your body. But this is what we're talking about. But do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So the, the world, the pressure in this world today is to, trans, is to conform us by outside pressure. God couldn't stop, the devil couldn't stop God changing you on the inside. So what does he try to do now? He tries to stop what God did in you from coming to the outside by pressure from this world. Pressure in your finances, pressure in your family, pressure in the world that's around you. Those pressures are designed to press us from the outside. So we think and we talk and we act just like the rest of the world does, even though God's kingdom is inside of you. So what are we called to do? We're called to be changed, transformed. That word transformed in the original language literally means to take what is on the inside of you your real nature and bring it to the outside so that everyone else can be affected and influenced by what's on the inside of you. And how is that done? By the renewing 
of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I'm going to go quickly through some slides we've done before just to kind of bring us back. Transforming is on the, it means to take what's on the inside and go to the outside. Put slide one up. This slide shows you all these things on the left, and there's so many more, are just a list of, and these are in the notes if you want to download the notes. And we've gone over these before. This is what God has done, what God has put inside of you. That's the legal side. The vital side means what's showing up on the outside. And that's what this renewing the mind process is for. And that is done by the renewing of your mind. Put the next slide up. And here's an example. There are two realms of existence the Bible teaches. There's a spirit realm. That's the realm where God lives. That's the realm where the angels live, the demons live. That's the real realm. And your spirit, man, the real part of you, the real you on the inside, the part that God changed on you is a member of that spirit realm. And it's God in you. It's your real nature and it's eternal. But they live, that lives in your human body. Your body comes from the material realm, this physical realm, this, the realm that you can see with your senses or hear with your senses or taste with your senses. So God has put a spirit being inside your physical body. But here's the problem. Those two realms cannot naturally communicate with each other. This room right now is filled with angels, but you don't know they're here unless God does something supernatural because they're from a spirit realm and your eyes can't see into that realm. Your ears can't hear into that realm unless something supernatural happens. So how did God solve that? He gave a third part to us and that's your soul. Your soul is your personality. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions, and it's the part of you we're focusing on in this course. But I wanted you to see where your mind fits into God's design of you. And the purpose of that soul, it is the bridge, the connection between the spirit person on the inside of you and your physical body. Now, your soul is made up of your mind, which is the part we're going to learn to renew, your will, which determines everything about what you do, and your emotions. So go to the next slide. The battle, there's a battle going on for you because both God and Satan want to influence this world through you. Both God, who lives in you if you're a Christian, and Satan want to influence this world through you. They cannot express themselves in this world apart from a human body. That's why those demons in the pit, in the demons in that man, bad man of Gadara, when they knew Jesus was going to cast them out, pled to go into the pigs. They had to be in some kind of body to bring influence. So if you're a Christian, God is alive inside of you. He's already taken possession in you, but Satan hasn't quit. He's still trying to make you be a vessel for his influence by working at you through your soul. It's the only part of you he has access to, and what he's after is your will. So the battle is for your will, because you will not say anything, you will not do anything unless you will to do it. And God will not override your will, and Satan cannot override your will, but Satan will try to deceive you into exercising your will for his purposes. So the other two parts of you are your emotions and your mind. All right, that's kind of what we've covered up until now. We ended by talking about the battle is for your will. The battlefield, and I know there's some good books out there. Joyce Myers wrote a great book, The Battlefield is the Mind, but the battle's for your will. 
And it's important to understand what the battle's after. Battle is for your will, but it's fought in your mind. Your mind is the gateway of what gets into your heart. Something will not get into your heart if your mind rejects it. It doesn't understand it. It rejects it. We don't have time to go through it, but the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13 is a perfect example of that. All right. But your mind also controls what comes out of your spirit. I just gave you a great example. During worship, when we began this series, I felt the Lord impress on me to do the first two or three sessions on Sunday morning and to move them to Wednesday night. That's what the Spirit was saying in here. But my mind thought about what that and said, yes, but there'll be more people will get the benefit of it if I do what I had planned to do and not follow what you had planned to do. So my mind affected my doing what was coming in my spirit. So we're going to begin today on talking about how does your mind work. See, to talk about renewing your mind without laying this foundation to show you what the role of your mind is, where your mind fits in you, then you won't know why this is so important. So we're going to look, begin to look today at how your mind operates, how your mind works. This is not a scientific analysis. I've read books about there, there are tons of, tons of books out there about the, how your mind works, the physiology of it and the psychology of it. We're talking about what the Bible says. There may be right, but okay, so, not, so you've got to listen carefully and quickly. Your mind works in patterns of thoughts. I'm going to say some things this morning that you may look at, that's not me. Yes, it is. You just don't understand it yet. Our minds work in patterns of thoughts. Some of those patterns are very logical and very rational. That's basically how my mind works. I think in outlines. I was raised that way, I was trained that way, and my legal training taught me to do that. So I could get one idea and my mind expands it into an outline right away. The notes you can get down online are how my mind thinks. It doesn't make for a good marriage. <laughs> because her mind does not work in patterns of logical thoughts. And every husband went, mmm. <laughs> but there are still patterns of thoughts, and that's my point. They may be logical, they may be illogical, but there are patterns to your thoughts because God designed your mind in such a way as to try to find meaning in everything you experience. And this is why this is so important. We're going to learn this morning is your mind is trying to form patterns of thoughts without you realizing it and somebody's going to try to influence what those patterns are if you don't understand what's going on. Oh boy. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is the crucial basic scripture. We're going to talk about three basic things. Thoughts, imaginations, and strongholds. For the weapons of our warfare, Paul's talk about dealing with issues in the Corinthian church. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not of the flesh, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So look, these are presented backwards, but I'll show you why later on. Verse 5. Casting down arguments. Some translations say, the King James says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So you've got thoughts, you've got 
It says arguments, imagination. The word arguments there is a Greek word, lokizomo, which literally means a, a, a system of thoughts designed to produce an argument. So what Paul was confronting here, there were, there were thought patterns, there were arguments, Greek arguments that were put against what God is like, who God is. And, and many of you today are still trying to overcome those kinds of thought patterns that were deposited in you as you were growing up of what God is like. And that becomes a stronghold when it's been there long enough. So an, an imagination will help us to understand this. Okay, thoughts. And this is so important to understand. The basic piece of information that your mind uses are thoughts. So often when renewing the mind is taught, they don't get at the basic unit. They just tell you to think differently, but it starts by understanding and recognizing everything in you begins with a thought. It's what Satan uses. Some of these thoughts are very clear, but many of them you're not even aware you had them. And you're receiving thoughts, you're processing thoughts all the time. Even when you think you're not, you're thinking about the fact that you're not thinking. <laughs> Imaginations, I'm going to go through these in more detail. Imaginations are pictures in your mind made up of a, of a mosaic of thoughts over a period of time and they form a mental image. You have a mental image of yourself you have a mental image of people in your family and this is really true in marriages because what happens is after a period of time where you've been living together, been married together, you, are, you form an image of your spouse and everything you do with that spouse, talking and listening, is filtered through that image. You expect them to act according to that image. So in marriage counseling, one of the things I would try to do is have them identify how they see their spouse and then recognize, is that true? Is that what God sees? That's what turned our relationship around from my side is when God began to show me he didn't see her the way I saw her and everything I said to her and everything I did to her was out of the image that I had allowed Satan to form in me over years because I didn't catch the thoughts and understand what they were these images are made up of little dots that determine the picture now, I used to use the example when I was teaching this of a newspaper picture. If you take a picture in a newspaper and you put a magnifying glass over it, what you'll see is the picture is made up of hundreds of little dots. And they're in differing degrees of, 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 of different shades of gray. Uh, the old picture tubes, the old TV tubes, was, were made up of a series of, it was a, it was a series of, 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 of dots on that screen. And what would happen is when you turned the TV on, those do- this, that ray would go back and forth faster than you could see, and it would illuminate those dots. But you don't see the dots, you just see the overall effect. Now with these electronic images, it's called pixels. So I looked, what is a pixel? It's an electronic picture. It's a little image. But it's still the same principle. Every picture you see is made up of a series of some little element, dots. And those dots are put together, listen carefully, those dots are put together in patterns that when you stand back and look at it, form an image. Form an image. And these images affect us. The image that you have of yourself affects what you, what you will try to do. 
I've used the example before of a pastor that's been here before. He told the story about he, was an, he exercised. He was a weightlifter. <clears throat> and he went to the gym one day and really didn't pay attention. He was on the bar and he lifted it. And when he got off, he realized he'd lifted 50 pounds more than he'd ever lifted before. But he didn't think it was 50 pounds extra on there. He thought it was what he always put on there. So he comes in the next time, oh, I can lift 50 pounds more. He put the extra 50 pounds on and he couldn't budge it. Same muscles, same strength, but he was thinking of himself differently. He was remembering, I'm somebody that can't lift that extra 50 pounds, even though his mind told him, I did it last week. So your image affects what you will do. Remember, this is all about your will. And strongholds, that's when an image becomes so established, it has become a reality to you. And it's real to you whether it really exists or not. You know you're there when one thought triggers a whole reaction. That's what most fights are. They just explode. They didn't explode over what was just said. There's an image there. There's a stronghold there. And these strongholds block whatever God wants to put in you and whatever God wants to bring out of you because they've got to go through this image, this stronghold in your mind. This is why sometimes it seems we have no control. And we, why we don't know why we react. Why did I react that way? It's like when you, when you push enter on your, on your computer, what you don't realize is hundreds and thousands of little instructions are immediately being carried out that the programmers put in there and you don't know, you just went, anyway, boop, it's popped up. And when that happens with you, somebody says something, you read something and fear grips you. That didn't just come out of nowhere. Somewhere in there, there's a stronghold and somebody hit enter and it triggered that image in you. All right. So let's break this down a little bit in the time that we have. <clears throat> let's talk about thoughts, the most important unit of this. Everything in your mind starts with thoughts. Even if you're disagreeing with me now, that's a thought. I got you one way or the other. <clears throat> Listen carefully. This is so important. Your emotions do not come out of nowhere. That went over big. <laughs> See, I'm taking your excuse away from you. Your emotions do not come out of nowhere. They're the result of thoughts you had. The problem is you don't go back and trace your thoughts back and find out why am I feeling this way. I learned to do that. If I'm feeling anxious or afraid, I'll stop and say, all right, why? What? Go back, rewind. What thought did I have? that triggered a stronghold or an imagination that I'm now reacting to. So if you change your thoughts, your emotions will change. You come to church and you're discouraged and you're frustrated, you're angry at somebody, maybe that was in the car with you. And you come in here and we start singing, Great is your faithfulness. And while you're doing that, your mind gets off that person that you came with and your mind begins to get on God and your emotions. Your emotions will follow your thoughts. Now listen to me. That means you can change your emotions by changing your thoughts. It means more than that. That means you're responsible for your emotions. Not whether they come, but what you do with them.
What you believe starts with thoughts. So in order to renew your mind, it's simply a matter of changing your thoughts. So many teachings on renewing the mind try to change our images, but they don't deal with the basic element of an image, which is the thoughts that made up that image. Okay. Where do your thoughts go? Oh, wait a minute. Listen, this is so important. It's not what you see or hear that affects you. It's the thought you have about what you see or hear. So something comes up on the news or, or you got a message. I got a text last night that alarmed me about something. And I'm finding myself anxious. So I go back and, all right, why am I anxious about that? I trace my, my thoughts back. And I realize it wasn't the message. It was the thought pattern I had of what that message was going to mean to me. Somehow it threatened me. It's not what you see or hear or experience that affects you. It's the thoughts you have about what you experienced. Because your mind's going to try to interpret what does that experience mean for me. And that's going to be done with a serious... This is, this will set you free. This puts you in a place of control, which is what God intended us to have all along. We're not just victims for whatever emotion flow is flowing around right now. We're not just victims for whatever the news is pumping out. We're not to be victims for those things, but we are because we just let these thoughts flow into our minds and flow through our minds, and then we begin to speak them out and share them with other people, and not realizing your former image is in strongholds that Satan wants to use to paralyze you. I had a good example one time. We, some of you parents have experienced this where you're, you're, you've got this young child, you know, and they're a, a young child. It's great to watch a young child because they're learning things that we, that we already know and some things we shouldn't know. So they don't know what certain things mean. And I remember when our kids <clears throat> fell down and they bumped their knee for the first time. And, and I met, this is what caught me this. They fell and bumped their knee and I would go, ah! And, and he looked, up, and looked at me first because he's trying to find out what this means. But that's what your mind does. He doesn't know what... All he knows is he fell down, he's experiencing some pain. So if I rush in and go, oh, oh my God, now I'm teaching him what that means. So the next time when he does it, he goes, ah! (laughs) So what do you react to? And what are the thoughts that are behind that? And are they true? Are they true? Where do thoughts come from? Well, they come from your spirit. God gives you things in your spirit and your mind interprets them. Or they can come from demons trying to talk you out of something. They can be your own thoughts and they can come from other people. Thoughts are most, very often unnoticed or seem insignificant. And that's what's so deceptive about them. You've got to learn. This is part of what we'll do on Wednesday nights. Learn how do you identify my thoughts. You can learn to identify. We just saw where Paul says, taking every, taking every, 
I can't do that. Every thought captive in obedience to Christ. I can't do that. Then God who made you doesn't understand you. But see, that's wrong thinking. We'll learn how to do that. Here's one of the keys. A thought is not yours until or unless you receive it. Just because a thought comes to you does not mean it's yours. One of Satan's devices is he'll give you thoughts and then condemn you for having that thought when it came from him. Brother Hagen, who we studied under, but, but I found out this actually came from Martin Luther, who said, I can't stop birds from flying over my head, but I can stop them from nesting in my hair. Let me give an example, which is actually becoming a little out of date with Amazon and things like that. But we have delivery services out there still where a guy, your, your doorbell rings and you show up at the door and you open the door and there's somebody dressed in a brown uniform with three letters on it, UPS. And what do they do? You open the door, they hand you a package, and what do you do? You take the package and you sign for it, close the door, say thank you very much. He walks away and you walk in, and now you try to decide what is it. It's too late. Whatever's in it is now yours. And we get so excited, oh, I got a package without, where's it come from? Now, if you're expecting it, that's one thing. But you get a surprise package. Oh, where's, oh, wow, thank you. This is exciting. I'm going to get to open something new. You don't know what's inside of it. What should you do? Well, first of all, a good idea to look at the, who sent it to you. Because that gives you some idea of whether you want what's in the package. But the point is, you had the right to, I asked, we, the church I had before, I, we had a UPS delivery. I asked him. I said, what happens if I don't accept the package? You don't, we, we, we take it back. It goes back to the sender. Now, once that package is yours, whatever's in there is hard. I had a, one of my brothers he's, who's, who's passed away years ago did a science experiment, and part of what he had to do was he had to have to do something with, with frogs. So we ordered from a mailhouse them these, these frogs. He thought he was ordering a frog. And what they were, they were some kind of Louisiana bullfrog. And because they were not coming overnight, they put like five or six of them in there. I wasn't, I already left home at the time, so I'm relating a story. And so what he does, he gets the package, oh, these are, this is the frog, he opens the package, and you've got four or five bullfrogs that have been in this package for I don't know how long, and the door is open to come out, they're coming out. And they were all over the place, bouncing all over the place. And now he's trying to get those bullfrogs and get them back in the package and get them under control. And that's what happens when you let some thoughts in your mind. You and I have a responsibility for what thoughts we let in our minds. Stay there. You can't control that it comes, but you have complete control and responsibility of whether you allow that thought to stay there. Because what do we do? We don't only set the thought in, we mull it over and over and over. We're going to get to a point on Wednesday nights when we learn how to meditate, but you're already an expert on meditation. If you can worry, that's just meditation. It is. We're going to learn to convert that into something positive. So this is thoughts, images. It's made up of a series of thoughts over time that paint a picture. 
It's like dots in a picture. <clears throat> there, there was a style of painting back in the, in the, in the 20th, 20th century um, called Impressionists. And what it was done, it was a, came out, a lot of them came out of France, where they had decided the way you make, they understood this principle, so they would take paint and they would make little dots. And if you stood up close enough to these painting, all you saw was a bunch of smudges. But when you stepped back, it projected an, an image that made an impression on you, which is where the name came from. But it was made of a series of dots and it left an impression. That was the artist's purpose of it. You must realize that every thought that you let into your mind is a dot on some image that's being formed in your mind. And your mind is designed to try to form these different thoughts and to form some meaning out of them and you will form some meaning out of them but what you want to learn to do is to be in control of whether that image that's being formed lines up with God's word, God's word or not. I want to give you an example of this. I'm trying an experience here. I've never done before. But if you could put up that, that first it's slide number. Yeah, that's it. So it's a little bit... The, 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 the resolution is not good because I did this myself. <clears throat> now, when our kids were growing up, they had a, game, a thing you could get books on called dot to dot, or connect the dots. <clears throat> and this is an image I pulled offline of a connect the dot image. Does anybody know what that is? I suspect it's a cat. But it's not a cat yet. It's a series of dots. And the artist has helped us with filling in some of the lines to make a suggestion because most of us can't count as high as 15. <laughs> so the idea was this, is, is, is you'd start at number one, which is down there at the bottom, and you'd find number two. And you'd go to number two, and then you'd look to number three. This is not high math. And number three, you'd have to be able to count to 15. Then you go to four, then five, oh, there's five, then six. And if you follow, the, if you connect these dots together in the right order, you have put the next image up. You have a cat. That's what those, listen carefully, that's what those dots were intended to project if you connected those dots together correctly. But remember, we have God trying to form images in you and we have Satan trying to form images in you. And in order to have God's image formed in you, of you, of him, of the world, of what's going on, you have to have help and instructions of what order do I connect these dots in in order to produce this image. So if you don't know about this and you just kind of connect them together any way you want, let's put up the next one. This is what you get. I just started connecting the way I wanted to. And that does not reflect the image that the author of that picture intended. Now this is funny, this is humorous, but it's critical. Because you have to understand every thought you get is intended to be a dot in some picture. Now there are only 15 dots in that. 
Some of the images that you have inside of you of yourself have thousands and hundreds of thousands of dots that have been reinforced going over these patterns over and over again and over and over again and over and over again until it becomes so embedded in you. Images, there's good news of this because images are like dreams. You ever, ever have a dream where you wake up and it was so vivid you swallowed half your pillow? <laughs> no, or you were in a sweat. It was just so real to you. And it's, just, it's so real and it's just like your heart's... You're physically reacting as if that really happened. And you try to tell someone, ah, you know what I was dreaming? And the moment you try to put into words what happens to it, it begins to fade. Why? This is critical because that image only exists in your mind. Unless you begin to treat that image as if it were reality and then you'll begin to act on that image. Oh, I want to show you what this, this distinction. Because here's the point. If it only exists in your mind, it's not real and you can change it. This will set you free. Many of you are bound by images of yourself. I can't do this. I can't do this. I'll never... Those only... Listen again. Those only exist in your mind. And it's only a reality in your life to the extent that you act on that image. This will set you free. So you can... So what we're going to learn how to do is how do I replace that image? You do it by changing the thoughts that make it up. Now, an image can be of something that actually exists or it can be something that's not a truth in itself. Show up the next slide. This is our new grandson, Luca. Uh, I, I knew I'd lose you. <laughs> that's, that's taken from my, um, my, my phone, what comes up my phone when I'm, every morning when I want to put a smile on my face. But that's not Luca. The pastor you just said it's Luca. That's not Luca. Listen carefully. You're playing games. That's not Luca. That's a picture of Luca. Let's see. Luca's probably waking his parents up about now because they live in Los Angeles. Luca's in Los Angeles. That's what's real. This is an image. This is an image that, that was sent, taken by my daughter-in-law and was texted to us and then I put it on my phone and then on Friday I transferred it to the, Mac, the, the computer back there and it's displaying there but that was taken three months ago or two months ago so listen to me the images in your mind are not the reality they're just pictures it's so critical to understand this because if it only exists in my mind I can change it I gotta move on even though this image is not real, it, you can take it down, I don't want to lose people's attention here. Even though this image is not real, it can control or influence you as if it were real. I pick that phone up and look at it, and I get a smile comes to my face. And he's in Los Angeles. It will control you even though it's not real. A good example is Peter walking on the water. 
He saw Jesus walking in the water, said, can I do that? Jesus said, come, and he walked on. He did what you can't do. He walked on water until he looked at the wind and the waves and realized, wait a minute, I can't do this. And he sank. But until he was looking at Jesus, until he was looking at Jesus, until he was looking at Jesus and allowed Jesus to tell him what he could do, oh, listen, he looked at, oh, he looked at Jesus' image of him. He looked at what Jesus saw his potential was and what he could do in Christ. And Satan couldn't stand that, so he had to distract him to look at the wind and the waves, and he was reminded, I'm just a human, I can't do this, and he started to go down. Because the image only exists in your mind, it can be changed. And how is it can change? It's not change. You can't change it by erasing the image. You have to replace the image with an image that comes from God. And we'll learn how to do that. Finally, last one, is a stronghold. A stronghold is nothing more than an image that's become so real and so embedded that it is, it is reality to you. Now, I don't know if they still have them, but computers used to have on the screens a thing called a screen saver. What did it need to be saved from? <laughs> Going to hell? Maybe what was on it needed to be. What, 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 what was it saving? Well, because those screens had these little dots and those images were kept being lit up and 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 lit up, eventually what happens is that becomes so embedded in those pixels that it won't go away. It now becomes part of that screen. So they have to put something on that computer program so that when you stop using it, something moves so that it's, the image is always changing so that it doesn't become embedded. And once it's embedded, it's very hard to remove. And I don't know in a computer screen if you can do that. And that's what a stronghold is in your mind. So established that one thought triggers it. Married couples know what this is like all the time. One will say something, and if you, somebody else is sitting there, I don't, why do they react to that? Because that one statement triggered a reaction that's been embedded in there, and this is the challenge in marriage counseling, is to get them to overcome the stronghold. It's the image of that person has become so embedded that it's very difficult to change, but it can be changed because God said so. It explains what we really are struggling against. Many of these strongholds in our life come from our childhood, from thoughts that your parents said things to you, other people said things to you, friends, children said things to you, and you began to form, I can't do that, I can't do this, I'll never amount to this, I can't do this, all this. And those things begin, little thoughts, little, little, little dots. Get, go in your mind, and again, there's no, no dot that has no significance, and it gets in there, begins to form a picture over you of yourself over the years, and then as you begin to act on it and confirm it, it now becomes so embedded that you don't even think about it, you're not even aware of it, it's controlling who you are. A stronghold. But listen to this. Just as images are only made up of thoughts, strongholds are only made up of images. So that if you can change the image, you can eventually change the stronghold. This is why renewing your thought patterns is critical. You can't change the stronghold. 
Because some of you have tried so hard, but what you're doing is you're trying to attract, attack the stronghold. And one of the principles we're going to learn in, in, as we go into this on Wednesday night is the more you think about something, the bigger it gets to you. So the more you try to change that stronghold, all you're doing is you're embedding it even more. So what do you have to do? You have to, you have to replace the stronghold with a godly stronghold. How do you do that? By intentionally creating a new image of who you are in Christ. A new image of who God is and what God is like. And how do you create the new image? By changing the thoughts that you allow into your mind and intentionally put in thoughts. This is why it's so important to understand this process. The thoughts eventually make up an image. The image, if it's round long enough, eventually makes a stronghold. And that stronghold now controls you. And God wants a stronghold in your life of how much He loves you of what he's done for you. Of, he wants a stronghold in your life of who you are in Christ that is so, so embedded in you. No matter what happens in your world around you, no matter what happens in our world around you, it does not shake who you are because it's so, such a stronghold in you that I live in Christ and Christ lives in me. And I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor death, they'll ever separate me from the love of God that's been given in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that because he had a stronghold. But he also wrote, he remembered the things he had done. But he had erased, not the memory of them, he had replaced the stronghold that I'm the one that, that, that sent Christians to their death. I'm the one that tried to wipe out the church of Christ. I'm the one that did But he had to replace that image with who he is in Christ. This is what keeps that legal side from showing up on the vital side from what God has already done. We've talked about this so many times. Everything that's in this word about what God has done for you is in you right now. It's in you. It's not in heaven. It's in you. The kingdom of God is in you. If you're a Christian. And yet the church, we're intimidated by what's going on in the world. And I'm talking to me as much as you. Why? Because the image we have of ourselves the image we have of one another, the image we have of the church, the image we have of who God is, that all those images form strongholds that say, I can't, we won't, I won't do this, I can't do that. Who are we? Condemnation, discouragement, all those things are weapons to get us to act on these strongholds and God's telling us, take every thought captive to obedience of Christ. Because that you do that, what will happen is you'll begin to renew, put a different image of you, of who you are in that Christ. We did a message two weeks ago on a Wednesday night called Putting Christ On. It was all about this process of how do I put, the Bible says put Christ on. How do I do that? Well, we found out as we studied that together how to do that. We've got to bring this to an end. This is what Jesus has done for becoming real in us. This is what the word transformed means. Ephesians 1.18, they don't put it out there. Paul's prayer for the church. This is our, his prayer for us today. That the eyes of our understanding, our mind, wouldn't be enlightened so we would know what is the hope of his calling for our lives that is in Christ Jesus. 
Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And we'll pick up with this on Wednesday night. If you don't like that, talk to God about that. <laughs> See what He tells you to do. We don't ever want to close a service without giving an opportunity to anybody who's watching online or maybe here this morning to receive the most wonderful gift, the gift of God's love to us, which is in Christ Jesus. The Bible says, For God so loved the world, not the church. There was no church. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, the precious one of heaven. He gave His only begotten Son that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but would have everlasting life. The Bible is very clear that regardless of your age, regardless of your health, it's appointed for everyone, everyone to die once. We're coming through a terrible time of this pandemic and we've seen people that we love and known going on before us. I look around me with men that I've served in this church and I watch one by one they pass on to the other side and realize there's going to come a day, an hour when it's my turn. There's going to come a day, an hour when it's your turn and we live so much of our life trying to avoid that time. I don't want to think about it. Well, I can tell you as you get older, it's something you think about because the reality is I don't have as many days left as I had before me. So do we ignore that? Do we avoid that? Or what do we do? Wisdom is you prepare for it. The Bible is very clear that when that day comes, when that moment comes, your spirit man, who you really are, will leave your body. That's what keeps your body alive. And it's going to go to one of two possible destinations that the Bible declares. One, which is God's will and God's plan, is that angels will escort your spirit into heaven for a wonderful reception. The other alternative is that demons will escort your soul and your spirit into a place the Bible calls hell and other things it calls it, to be eternally, separa eternally separated from God. And it's not my purpose to scare you this morning. My responsibility is to tell you the truth according to God's word. Not my theory, not somebody else's theory. This is what God in His word has said. And it's a choice you have to make. It's a gift that God has given to you of His Son. The issue that keeps people from heaven and sends people to hell, the issue is your holiness because God is a holy God. Absolutely pure holiness and He cannot have anything in His presence, listen carefully, that's not as holy as He is. You may be a wonderful, good person. I thought I was. I was, a, I, I was a lawyer. I was an honest lawyer. I was a faithful husband. I was a good father. And so I looked at myself and I was raised in church. I was taught to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I was taught to believe He died to pay for the sins of the world. But I came to a crisis point in my life where I was reading my Bible and I discovered that what God requires is that we perfect. It says, be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. And I really, I can't do that. 
because I was comparing myself with other people and saying, well, I'm better than they are. Oh, yeah, there's some people better than I, but by the large, I'm better than the majority. But God's standard is himself. So what do we do? Well, God's love for us solved it. He loved you and me so much that he sent his sinless son to this earth for 33 and a half years and then at the appointed time he sent his sinless son to that cross and on that cross God took your sin and my sin and put that sin on his son and poured out his judgment his righteous judgment for our sin on his son on that cross over 2,000 years ago and then he offered his son to you and what I realized was I had never personally receive this gift of Christ into my life. I believed he was the savior of the world. I believed he paid for our sins, but I found out that wasn't enough. I had to receive him as the one that paid for my sins. I had to receive him not as savior of the world. I had to receive him as my savior. And the moment I did that, he came into my life and changed me. Not been anything closer to perfect maybe than I was back then. But what he was able to do is because I accepted the gift of God's payment for my sins, he was able now to give me his son's righteousness. So that when I appear before God, I don't appear in my righteousness. I appear in Christ's righteousness. And he is as holy and as righteous as his father. This is what God has offered to you this morning. And maybe you're here this morning and you've done this years ago and that's fine and that's great and you're growing in the Lord. But maybe there's somebody here this morning and you've never done this. You may be like me, raised in church. I even teached up got a message. It was terrible. But I did one. Until I came to realize I needed to receive Christ personally into my life as my Savior that paid for my sins and then took my life as it was then and put it into His hands to be Lord. If that's you this morning and you're here in this room, here's what I need you to do. I want to pray for you. I don't want to embarrass you, but this is, this is so critical. This is the most important thing you will ever do. I want to pray for you if that's you. And pray for you to, to re- help receive this gift of God's Son into your personal life. But I need you to let me know that you'd like me to pray for you by raising your hand. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Anybody at all. I'll talk to you that are online in just a moment. I understand maybe you're shy. And that's okay. I'm not going to embarrass you. I need the ushers to help me in the back. All right, here's what I want to do. I'm going to lead us all in this prayer. And those of you that are watching online, I want to lead you in this prayer. And maybe online you're watching but, and you've done this before but you've wandered away from God and you just happened to turn this on this morning. This applies to you too. You can come back. God's not angry at you. So let me lead you in this prayer and then I want to give you just a little bit of instructions. Just pray this out loud. Mean it as best you can. Say, Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. You know everything I've ever done, everything I've ever said, everything I've ever thought. For whatever did not please you, I ask you to forgive me. Wash me in the blood of Jesus. Make me clean in your sight. Jesus, I call upon you to come into my life 
as my Savior. And I take my life as it is right now and I put it into your hands to be Lord. Fill me with your spirit that you may, I may live strong for you for the rest of my days. Thank you for loving me this much. Amen. Now, I'm going to